You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Welcome, everyone. We're really glad you're back with us for this special episode of Learning How to See Season 4. We are looking at the amazing collection of questions that came in over this, uh, over this season. And we have uh, some questions we'd like to begin with today that's, that focus on personal relationships. What happens when we sense ourselves growing in, in some ways and in a certain direction that seems to put us more, make us more distant or, or increase levels of tension with people close to us? And sometimes it's people as close as our spouse. Uh, and I'm very happy I'm joined once again by uh, my friend and colleague Gigi Ross from the Living School and Dawson Allen, uh, also from the CAC, and Michael Petro uh, from uh, from the CAC, and, and uh, just amazing conversation partners. Glad you're here. And I wonder, uh, Gigi, if you could start by reading us uh, a letter from uh, uh, someone asking about their marriage. Sure. It reads... Hello, thank you for these helpful podcasts. My questions after listening to Renounce and Announce are about our longtime marriage relationships when one spouse goes through a major shift in thinking while their partner is doubling down on the old beliefs. Encouragement for the partner who is in the process of renouncing and announcing with friends, but who is not sure what to do about the marriage, where one partner thinks the other is now spiritually lost, when one partner's belief system cannot include differing beliefs. Here, I'm speaking not just of young marriages, but long-time marriages, like 30-plus years, where so very much of life has been shared together. To call it complicated is an understatement. Separation or divorce may not seem like a solution. In addition to the primary relationship, there are perhaps many extended family members, young adult children, grandchildren, all impacted. Dissolving a marriage in the retirement years seems impossible, yet how we believe is so core to how we live in everyday life. Thank you for any thoughts you may have about this complicated subject in relation to the deconstruction-reconstruction journey. Wow, what a, what a question. So powerful. I think we'll go to a, a second question. Mike, maybe you could read that for us. Sure. And uh, then we'll be able to reflect on both of these uh, together. Dear Brian McLaren, Thank you so much for the work you've done over the years. Your books and podcasts, along with the work of many others, including Richard Rohr, have had a large influence on me and have helped me along my faith journey over the past five years. I specifically enjoyed your most recent podcast featuring Barbara Brown Taylor. It helped me put words to something I've been experiencing within my marriage. My wife and I are experiencing reality differently, and this is causing a great tension. She grew up Southern Baptist and still holds many of these core conservative beliefs, although I've stretched her quite a bit. 21 years ago, when I asked her to be my girlfriend before she said yes, she asked me to explain how I could believe in evolution if I believe in the Bible. I spent a decade of my life trying to adopt the beliefs that she grew up with. This eventually led to a crisis of faith for me. And the only way I could remain Christian was to expand my understanding of what a Christian could believe. The rest of my journey has been somewhat predictable and well covered in the material you put out. However, that part of my journey that I'm currently struggling with, as I know many others are, where there seems to be so little material, is how to manage a successful relationship 
within your marriage when your faith journey begins to create a wedge between your beliefs. There are times my wife and I manage this well, and there are other times when things reach a boiling point. It becomes so difficult because our beliefs inform us on how we should act in this world, so our desired actions are often at odds. For example, what values should we teach our children? Where should they attend school? What activities should we encourage them to participate in? What church should we attend? And so on and so forth. I'd love to hear stories from others who've experienced these struggles and how they've managed to wade through the difficult waters together while not being together in what they believe. As a side note, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, so you would think I would have the answers, but I don't. And I'm not (laughs) sure anyone does. But some stories about shared experience would be nice to hear. Thank you for all you've done to help move forward the Christian church in America to confronting reality. Mm. Well, isn't that an articulate question? Thanks for, for reading that. Mike, um, I, before we respond to the questions, I wonder if any of us have any reflections or just observations about the questions themselves. What, how do you, each of you react emotionally and in your bodies just to hearing from, from these good people? Um, if I could say something, um, I have been a long time relationship before, but I have never been married and not for, not for decades or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that in this society, we, we place a lot on intimate marital relationships that we expect pretty much our society's taught us to expect everything from our partner. Um, and I'm not saying that's what's happening in this, but I'm just saying that that's part of the waters that we swim in. Yes. Um, and so I also, the only other observation I would say is that how important it is for each person to be seen. And sometimes when things change as core as beliefs, it can be threatening to the person who didn't change. And there's a wondering, you know, have I lost this person who has become somebody different? And so there could also be some fear around. Those are my, my two observations. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add something at the top, which is speaking as a, as a divorced person, and I know there's going to be a lot of our listeners who, who hear that from this place, um, sometimes, you know, the relationship ends. And you add in the complicating factor that being deeply committed to the spiritual path is being deeply committed to transformation, and sometimes we transform in different directions. So, so you know, solidarity to all the divorced folks who are listening, and, and to recognize that I would say sometimes, sometimes the contemplative and loving thing to do is is to let something end when the time has come for it to end. We we put a huge value on relationships lasting forever, and that's not everyone's narrative or reality. Mm. So well said. Thanks, Mike. The felt sense for me was sort of an immediate sympathy just to the sheer complexity, intensity, and yes. intensity of the two questions that – we're talking about intimate relationships in the context of a social network um, and just the sort of acknowledgement that um, we're human beings who want connection and want belonging. Um, and sometimes those dynamics are really complicated. So first, before any real response, just to acknowledge how complex that is um, and how intense because of some of the dynamics that Gigi named so I would just sort of start with an acknowledgement of the in, the intensity and the complexity that sort of animate both those questions. Dawson, I think that's a, a good place to start also because it will help us adjust expectations. We, we aren't going to be able to give people uh, first-class marriage counseling uh, yes. <laughs> uh, through the podcast. 
but what we can do is validate that this is tough, and you could feel it in both of these letters, couldn't you? And and uh, and I think sometimes we always we reach out for help because we just need some validation. Um, to we need somebody to know this is not easy. Um, I'd like to share uh, the, the the second uh, uh, writer. Uh, asked about stories. And I thought I could just share something very brief about my own story and then a couple of quick anecdotes about some other stories in similar situations. But I was very fortunate. It didn't have to go this way, but it just did. That when I was going through my deep questioning, um, my wife was too. And uh, and in fact, I, I was in kind of the ideal situation. She wasn't holding me back. She was kind of saying, because I was not only her husband, but I was the pastor of the church that she unfortunately had to attend, right? She couldn't get away from me. Um, and she was very involved as in the church herself. But, you know, her message to me was always, will you get moving? You know, we need you to move faster. You know, she wasn't, uh, and she was uh, very much for me being honest about my questions and she would share hers. And the two of us looked at our kids and said, we don't think our kids will ever be able to survive in the kind of Christianity that, uh, you know, we were brought up in. And so uh, we had this sense that we were trying to make enough progress fast enough to create a hospitable place um, for our kids. So we were fortunate that we were in sync in our journey. And that continues to today. I mean, we, um, and we're in, like, I, uh, there are two or three different issues that my wife and I see so differently, but I understand why she, this certain areas of real interest to her. I also understand why it's not of interest to me. I'm glad she's has the freedom to be interested in it. And I'm really glad I don't have to be interested in it. And we could flip that back and forth. And I think this is one of the things, those of us who've been married for a long time, or those of us who were married in the past and have seen when these things don't work out some, sometimes, is there are ways that we say, I'm committed to the marriage and I'm committed to you. And this is why I make room for you to be different from me. And I make room for me to be at a different place than you. So that that's one sort of framework. Uh, two other very brief stories. I think about a fellow, a friend of mine who also happened to be a pastor, and he was going through a deep rethinking of his faith. And his wife was traumatized because for, first on one level, she she didn't have questions. She was very happy with a conservative evangelical faith that she'd grown up with. But every time he asked a question or let something slip in a sermon or tried to stretch the congregation, she thought he's going to get fired. We're going to be unemployed and we're going, and, and, you know, they had young children uh, and, and our children are going to be hungry and we're going to be on the street living in a cardboard box. Right. So there was big, uh, uh, catastrophic uh, insecurities that came up from, from her husband being a pastor asking these questions. But at one point, late one night, they were having a you know, difficult conversation. And she said to him, uh, my father will want me to divorce you if he finds out what you think. And my friend, I still remember having this lunch with him uh, he, he, after this, and he was very distraught. And he said, at that moment, I realized that 
if push came to shove, she was more concerned about what her father thought than what I thought or even what she thought. And he just felt in that moment the kind of dominating patriarchal attitude that goes along with a lot of traditional religion that she had internalized. And he realized that in a certain sense, he, he, he said to me, my wife isn't even my conversation partner. She is channeling her father and his thoughts. I don't think she's ever even developed the freedom to think for herself. And, uh, and I, I just thought that was super insightful, super painful, and not easy to deal with. But it's just a reminder of how complex these things are. And then one last quick story uh, that has nothing to do with the faith transition. Um, I have two friends who at a relatively young age, uh, one in their 40s and one in their uh, upper 50s, their spouse uh, developed Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. And, and in both cases, the, the disease progressed very rapidly. And in both cases, for the spouse to be out in public with, uh, in one case, a husband, in one case, a wife, who was descending into dementia very quickly, brought up for them something that all of us who are married or in families understand. And that is when our identities are bound together, we're embarrassed about for the other person. And uh, both of these friends, as I watched them graciously, beautifully, lovingly handle this trauma to their marriage, what I watched them both be able to do is to stop being embarrassed for their spouse. Um, one of the effects of Alzheimer's is that their spouse wasn't embarrassed about these problems. Uh, and, and what they had to do is, in a certain sense, it was a, a new challenge of allowing their spouse to be who and where and what and how he or she was. And that extreme example might help all of us to realize that things happen in life that we have no control over. And part of loving a person is allowing, allowing that to happen and to process our disappointment and our embarrassment somewhere else <laughs> and not put that on them. And then it's to, to, re, to see it as our problem of letting them be who they are and where they are. Now, that doesn't solve all problems, but I just know I've been inspired by those two friends in very profound ways. I, I don't know if any of you have some other stories you'd like to share. Maybe um, uh, uh, Dawson, I don't know if you'd uh, want to share anything about your own journey in this, because you come from a background similar to mine. Thanks, Brian. Maybe the first thing I would say, sort of circling back to the social complexity of the question is, sort of an acknowledgement that many of us come from contexts where ideological alignment is a prerequisite for relationship mm. or for belonging. Another way to say that is there's a sort of conditional that's set up, which is if you believe X, Y, and Z, then we can be in meaningful relationship. So just to acknowledge that there's not just interpersonal dynamics at play here, there's social dynamics, and there's also sort of a prioritization of what we believe is the primary way that we identify. Um, so I would say that that was sort of the first thing that, that came up for me. Um, there's a couple other things that come to mind. Um, 
two from sort of uh, art and media, and then one quote. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the quote. There's a Rilke quote that, ironically, my wife shared with me. And long before I was introduced to the sort of contemplative path or poetic wisdom, she shared with me this um, Rilke quote. For one human being to love another, that is perhaps the most difficult of all our tasks. The ultimate, the last test and proof, the work for which all other work is but preparation. I hold this the highest task for a bond between two people, that each protects the solitude of the other. That is the miracle that happens every time to those who really love. The more they give, the more they possess. And I mean, I think we could spend a ton of time on this quote, and there's sort of like a paradoxical wisdom there. But the the thing that jumped out at me was the sort of highest task as protecting the solitude of the other. And sort of what that evokes for me is thinking of Richard differentiating between unity and uniformity. There's sort of an animating question here that I'm interpreting as how do we lovingly relate to difference? Um, and there's a bunch of different ways to sort of practically answer that question, but I think staying true to that sort of spirit is a really critical component component to this is how do we relate to difference in loving and compassionate ways? I'll say in my own life, um, in my own marriage, it's been a real gift to see the diversity of thought from Taylor and the ways that she thinks differently from me because she sees those differences and has taught me to see those differences as complementary and as diverse and as beautiful rather than seeking a sort of ideological alignment that says, for us to be in relationship, we have to believe all the same things about X, Y, and Z. But actually seeing those differences as opportunity to appreciate the particularity of each other's lives and views, and also to grow and be challenged and to be in a learning relationship with each other. So that's some of my own experience. The other two examples that come to mind, one, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Soul. It's a Pixar movie, and it's sort of this universe in which a soul is able to inhabit its body once it sort of finds its calling. And that's what allows the soul to sort of come down and inhabit uh, this body. And it's a, it's a Disney or a Pixar movie, I think. But something that this is another example that Taylor has shared with me is allowing each other to sort of respect and honor our soul gift or path and recognize that they're not going to be the same thing. But she's joked that for me, maybe my soul gift was encountering a Richard Rohr book, right? And that's what allowed my soul to to rush down and, you know, to, uh, to be here. But that's not the same gift for her. You know, that's mm -hmm. not the same calling. But to see that as something beautiful, that's something that I've, that I'm still learning from, from Taylor. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes. I it's... often joke with folks that can, I'll say contemplative practice did not save my marriage, but it did save my divorce because my my former wife and I deconstructed and, and reconstructed together. And so um, what happened was not that we went our separate ways because we couldn't align religiously, but the deconstruction process revealed fundamental patterns of disconnect underneath it. And then because of good counseling and, and good contemplative practice and, and, you know, an ethos of love, we were able to, to separate and go our separate ways as friends, which we, which we still are. But I, I can't help but think that a lot of times when we experience sort of a spiritual disconnect, what's also happening is it is 
revealing other patterns underneath about identity and value and the narratives we tell ourselves about relationship and alignment. And I would encourage folks to have the courage to look deeper and not just not hide in the in the religious disconnect, but to be willing to look at what's under the pattern behind that, wherever it takes you. And and I will say, our our uh, beloved Jim Finley told me once. He said, "You know, the relationship didn't work out, but you followed your path and you followed your heart and you stayed true to your integrity, and so it did work out." And that has that has been a good thing to come back to from time to time when I think about this. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Mike. Any final comments from these first two before we read one more? In all of this, I hear a, a question. Um, one of one that I think sort of encompasses everything that everyone has said. And when I think about what love is, the the question that I hear in both of these is. How do I stay true to my path by allowing my spouse to remain true to their path, even though they're different? And there's all these competing, um, mm. what makes it, I think, complex is all the, the comp- competing strands that we've all been talking about that gets in the way of us allowing a person to be fully who they are and, and allowing ourselves to be fully who we are without having that be tied Um and so I guess that's what, for me, is that that's the question for me that I'm hearing in both is how do I allow myself to stay true to my path while allowing my spouse to stay true to their path? That's beautiful, Gigi. And I'm actually thinking of something that you said in a previous conversation about how the ways that we see sort of move into contemplative practice and our actual way of showing up in the world. And I think maybe one of the one of the questions, two questions maybe that are like practical, actual sort of spiritual practice questions in this conversation, not in way of giving advice, but to say, here's maybe some ways to hold these questions, mm. is how can I get curious about this difference? Like asking, asking myself when I could, you know, when I'm experiencing difference, whether it's relationally in the marital context or otherwise, to say, how can I get curious about this? Or to say, what do I have to learn mm-hmm. about this person's experience or perspective? Mm-hmm. And just seeing where those, how that shifts your mode of being with these super complex and, and really loaded questions in a way that, that hopefully honors both your path and the path of the person that that we're in relationship with. So well said. And Gigi, your comment just gave me an idea. Uh, uh, And we don't have to, we we can give this a try and it doesn't have to work. And, you know, all four of us don't have to participate. But I, I wonder if each of us could try to put ourselves in the position of one of the four partners in these two marriages we've just uh, heard about. And I wonder if we could try to, someone brought up the phrase renounce and announce. It's almost like we have to, it, it's, a, it's a coming out. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement. Things are different between us than they used to be. And I wonder if we could try to put into words a loving statement that could be made to the other partner. Um, does that does that make sense? I wonder if 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 uh, any or each of us would be willing uh, to give to give that a try to sort of imagine what what we what would our, our script be 
something that that we think could could break a sound barrier and help a conversation to go to a new place. Thinking about this sort of intensity of these questions is just sort of asking, what am I holding on to that's preventing me from being present to what's here in this relationship? Mm -hmm. Another question is, what am I not understanding about the other's experience that's preventing me from being present in this conversation. I think coming back coming back to that sort of embodied presence, how can I show up in a loving way regardless of outcome? These are sort of how questions, not what or prescriptive answers, but how can I be present to sort of what's emerging in this relationship? That's what's coming up for me. Actually, that really helps me, uh, Dustin, because I think what wants to be said from inside of me is uh, is a question and it would be uh, a question that I would ask to uh, my partner which would be what has it felt like for you to watch me going through these changes um so if I could show genuine curiosity to because so much of me in these situations I don't want there to be a problem so I don't want to imagine what it's like for the other person. I want to fix the problem, not face it. And and so to say, what has it felt like to be you watching me go through these changes? That that could take things to a different place. Well, I'm gonna keep up with the question one. Um, and just thinking of my my own life when I've been in relationships where there have been differences and my tendency is to see my fear and not to see what's really going on. Mm. And so um, my question would be, what am I, what am I afraid of, um, of losing, of what am I afraid is going to happen? And then the, the question I would ask myself, how am I seeing my partner? Am I seeing my fears or am I really seeing my partner? Mm. Beautiful. Where my mind wants to go actually connects us with the next question. When I, I, the year that I lost my mom and my brother, I got knocked down to one sibling and one parent. And it was when I was going through a pretty intense religious deconstruction. So I didn't align with either one of them politically, religiously, in a lot of other ways. And my therapist at the time said to me, he's like, Hey man, you're down, you're down to one sibling and one parent. And you have a choice to make here, which is, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be in relationship? Um, do you want to be totally aligned with them or do you want to find a way to, to stay connected to them? And he's like, that's a real question you have to ask yourself. Um, and if you want to be in relationship, so much of staying in relationship is learning the skill of where you connect and leading harder into those things and letting go of the parts where you don't connect. And maybe just, again, certain things are just temporary conversational, no fly zones. I think for me, that leads me to think about if I was trying to maintain an intimate relationship where I knew there were differences, which really is every intimate relationship, isn't it? (laughs) I would want to acknowledge those things and say, how can we make space for each other to be different? And how can we acknowledge the areas where we still deeply connect and lean even more deeply into them? How can we celebrate even more the parts that that work well and mm. the things that we still do share in common and the and the the core values that we still hold together that is super insightful 
I, I think that is a good segue to the, our last question. Uh, and uh, I wonder, uh, uh, Dawson, would you be able to read that last question for us? Um, uh, it strikes me, uh, just before we move on, that a huge part of what this involves is in our relationship, uh, acknowledging, I didn't want it to go this way. I, I, I liked it better when we both saw the world the same way. I liked it better when we were both conservative Republicans or when we were both progressive Democrats, or I liked it better when we were both sincere, true believer Roman Catholics. I liked it better when, you know, that, that's, that was the contract that I signed up for. That was the expectation that I have. And so there comes this act of acknowledging that that's not real anymore. And then going through a grieving process and just being able to admit it, I'm disappointed, I'm hurt, I'm, I'm afraid. Uh, and then, uh, and realizing that our partner is also in that same uh, situation. And then I think sometimes there are liberating things that can be said where maybe both partners aren't here yet, but one partner can say, I have come to accept that we're different in this area. Uh, and... I want you to know, I, I'm not going to try to make you be like me. I want to accept and appreciate you for being where you are. And you, there's an act of doing that before the other partner might be ready to do it. But my guess is if one can be ready to do it, uh, it will make it easier uh, for the other. Let's go to that, that last question. Thanks, Dawson. Loving the most recent podcast on living in reality. I'd love to hear a thoughtful episode on reconciling relationships with those who still live in other realities. My extended family and many friends, families were really damaged throughout the recent election turmoil and ultimately the realization that we just live in different realities and where some are interested in learning to see, others prefer adherence to strict cultural thinking and understandings. Some of Brian's books talk about the conflict with others inherent in learning to see, but the reconciling with others, I think, is potentially the most important fruit of learning to see. Thank you for your thoughtful episodes. I'll just share. Well, I, I, it, when I heard that question, I, I thought of a dear friend who uh, we went through really deep election-related relational trauma <laughs> to... And uh, to the point where this friend yelled at me and I was afraid he was going to hit me in the middle of a conversation. Uh, and we had to intentionally stay away from each other for a period of time just because he, he came to me to apologize for an outburst in a previous conversation. And after he sincerely apologized, then I, it was like something clicked and he said, but it's not like I think I was wrong. And then it was right back in the intensity of disagreeing. Um, and so what I started doing with him is I, he would say something that he, he knew I disagreed with. And I would just say, hey, man, you know, I, I don't see it that way. If, you'd, if you're ever interested on why I see it differently, I'll be glad to tell you. But we don't have to go into that now. And mm -hmm. so... However many years it's been, uh, six years, um, he has never once asked me <laughs> uh, how, I, how and why I see things differently. But 
the act of saying that has created enough safe space for the relationship to continue. I, I don't know if that would be called reconciliation, but it it's 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 way better than than the way things were going. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I I want to say, you know, I mentioned um the conversation I had with that therapist and I talked about having one sibling and one parent. Yes. And uh, those relationships did not work out the same way. You know, one of them mm. I talk to every day and one of them not so much. Yeah. And it's because, you know, at a certain point, you you sometimes loving people well is learning the load-bearing capacity of the relationship. Oh, my um, goodness. That's and, so well said. Yeah. And it, it changes throughout seasons. I Yes. My one of my favorite books of of scripture is the book of Genesis, right? Because the book of Genesis is all about families trying to get along and not always doing a great <laughs> job of it. And you have these two really beautiful moments of reconciliation. You have uh, Jacob and Esau, and then you have Joseph and his brothers. Mm. And and there's these moments where people who had been in huge conflict come back together. And what happens in both instances is. They come back together, and then there's an immediate separation. Jacob and Esau have this beautiful reunion, and Esau says, great, let's travel together. And, and Jacob's like, no, nah, no, thank you. See you later. <laughs> and he leaves. <laughs> Joseph has this beautiful reconciliation with his brothers, and then he says, you know, come, come live here in Egypt with me. And you could look the story up if you want to know more about it. But what he does is he then sends his brothers to the other side of the country mm. because he knows that even though they've been reconciled, it's not a good idea with everything that's transpired between them for them to be too close in clo such close proximity. And I saw that to say, you know, reconciliation, forgiveness, it's a transformative act. Mm. And it always creates a change in boundaries. Mm. Sometimes you reconcile with someone, you forgive someone, and it brings you closer together. Sometimes you reconcile with someone or you forgive someone and you realize, you know what? We're going to be a lot healthier if we're a little bit further apart. So even if we get to reconciliation, it is going to look different. And sometimes healthy is space for my two cents. I think that's what I have to contribute to that. You know, I, I want to pick up on that. For me, there's a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, and I think personally, I think forgiveness comes first. And I think forgiveness is really internal, um, mm -hmm. even though we're, we've learned that it's something you extend to somebody else. But it's really about letting go of, of those tentacles that keep you bitter and keep you attached to a story that's going to keep you apart. And I think that's where it starts. And then, and then you can, I think once you get to that place when you're not so attached to those differences and not so bitter and not so hurt, um, and that to me really is, is saying you're taking your power back and not giving it to somebody else to decide, you know, how, you, how you're mm. going to react, um, then to me, there's more room for reconciliation to look all kinds of ways. Mm. Um, I know I, I, I can talk about my adoptive parents and, you know, for me, the reconciliation came after they died. Um, mm. And so the, I, I think once we can come to a place, to that own inner place, we can reclaim those ways that people have taken over our identity, taken over our sense of belonging, taken over in such a ways that we become bitter, then we can we can come from a place of reconciliation without the expectation that it'll be met with us back. And then personally, then I think ultimately the outcome of how things get reconciled is up to God. Oh, beautifully awesome. said. Thank you, Gigi. 
Yeah, I, I love this question. This is one of my favorite topics is like, how do we relate to difference in mm -hmm. healthy ways? Um, and I've really started to sort of come to the conviction in some ways as part of the experience of the living school is seeing the way that we relate to difference as one of the great arenas for applied and embodied non-duality is how do we sort of relate to our fundamental connectedness um, amidst separations and differentiation, um, complicating or differing views. So I think this is a super important question. And I want to acknowledge the good instincts. Um, the way that this question ends is that I think reconciliation with others is potentially the most important fruit of learning how to see. I think that sort of gets to the heart of, Brian, why you started this whole series is we're trying to understand how we see so that we can be in the world mm. in a healthy and loving way. So just to say, I think the instincts behind this question are great. For me, this conversation starts with what's the desired outcome of this conversation and having a real sincere look inward of what do I want? It's not dissimilar from Mike's response to the earlier question is, do I want to be right? Do I want to be connected? It's a sort of sincere self-evaluation. For myself, I appreciate sort of schemas and maps to help understand the world. And um, I've made sort of three buckets uh, in terms of how I relate to difference. The first is, do I want to be present to this difference? And that's sort of the fundamental starting place is, am I willing to just sort of be in the presence non-judgmentally of whatever is coming up in terms of difference? And this could be difference in of interpretation of a conversation or a worldview or a political event it could be difference in any capacity. If the answer is yes to that, there's an there's an, a further question, which is, do I want to be present to this or do I really want to understand this? If it's yes, I want to be present and yes, I want to understand. If I'm moving to that level of understanding, then there's going to be a series of like active listening. How do I ask questions that help sort of pull out what's animating this difference? How do I help sort of reveal the parts of this perspective that I'm missing? So that's sort of like this active listening questioning mode of how do I really understand this difference? And then the last the last component of it is persuasion. Do I want this per person to move in terms of how they believe. And I think we have to be honest about that too, because if we're if we're not honest about that, I think it can operate unconsciously and that can be really dangerous and that can be really unhealthy. So if, if yes to presence, if yes to understanding, and then if we're moving yes towards persuasion, then persuasion has a sort of series of components to it as well, which is um, I think of the work of Jonathan Haidt, who's a moral psychologist who maps moral matrices mm. um, and sort of explains the reason that conservatives and progressives think differently and maps that onto the brain and explains the evolution um, and the sort of functions behind these different ways of thinking. Or I think about Brian, your work on uh, the ebook, Why Don't They Get It, um, is helping sort of apply these biases to understand why might someone actually experience this election differently than me? Mm -hmm. um, and then if, if we're moving from that understanding into the persuasion, I think there's a recognition that oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking that facts change people's mind. Mm -hmm. um, 
and over and over and over again <laughs> in different ways. We could talk about a million studies. I'm sure each of you could give anecdotes and academic studies that point to the reality that that is not true. The prefrontal cortex is not where change happens <laughs> um, in the brain. So then the question becomes, how do I create non-judgmental space and complicate and displace these views and sort of open up capacity for change? To think about it in terms of spiral dynamics, you know, it's been said that you can only question, I think it's either five or 10% of your worldviews on your best day when sort of all your needs are met. Um, so sort of being realistic about that reality and then also how, like how do we actually set the container for real transformation? Those are some of the things that I get really excited about when we start talking about how do we relate across difference. And I think, frankly, it's an area that is really important for our political conversation right now. And I think it's a sort of unique voice that the faith traditions can speak to in this current moment is how do we learn to be loving and present with each other across different traditions, beliefs, perspectives. So yeah, I, I love this question and would be curious if anything else comes up for y'all. Uh, Dawson, I love it. So pr presence, uh, understanding, persuasion. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you brought me there, then I thought, and once you're engaged in persuasion, then where are you going to go from there? Because if the person doesn't say, oh, you're right, I want to see it your way, yes. um, then you can move to domination where I'm going to intimidate and threaten you to agree, or I can go to rejection. If you don't agree, I don't want to be around you. Or you can say, I'm willing to be present, you know? So yes. I, I, I just think uh, it's a, I, I really haven't heard anybody sort of describe the, the, that reality uh, that, that well before. And, uh, and in a certain sense, it is a matter of learning how to see because the understanding says, do I want to understand why yes. the world looks this way to this person? Uh, so yeah, beautiful, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that you mentioned the cerebral cortex and the change doesn't happen in the cortex. It, you know, it's it's <laughs> worth noting, especially when someone's afraid. When mm -hmm. someone's afraid and they're in their brainstem, there there is no higher brain function. Yeah. You can't reason with someone. And I think what that reminds me is that I want to have compassion because change is scary, yeah. right? Change is scary. We're in a rapidly changing world. And um, and some of us, some of the reasons we have these disconnects is because we ourselves have changed. I remember w when I was a pastor and I'd gone through like a pretty intense season of deconstruction and a lot had happened. I sat across a table from a friend of mine and he said to me, I don't see a lot of you left. And I realized he was scared. He was yeah. afraid because that meant something to him that I had changed. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it intrigues me to reflect on how to hold space for that fear lovingly. And I, I just want to add one more thing, because um, I love that schema, Dawson. Um, and I think it's really important for us to really be real about what we're about and what our agendas are. And I think that, and I'm putting on my spiritual director hat here, um, mm -hmm. that the there's also what is being invited in the conversation. Um, and so and that's why I'm glad you started with presence. And I wonder that if we could allow the presence to let us know what's next. Um, 
then it can help us know whether it's even something that we're meant to, maybe we're not meant to understand, but just to be there. Because sometimes I find that understanding takes me in my head and I miss so many other cues. Um, that's just me. Not everybody does that. Um, but for me, it's like, I, when I am in situations like that, I, it's really honest for me to be what I'm about. And sometimes I find I have to set my agenda aside because that's not what's called for. And I, often I find that when I've done that, I actually learn more about where the person's coming from than if I start trying to make what I want to happen, happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're so right to say, like, maybe I could say it more directly I think presence is the prerequisite and has to carry through the entirety of that schema. And you have to sort of honor that as priority. Uh, maybe that's a better, more explicit way to say it is that, and I think that's part of the applied non-duality, is how do I honor the inherent interconnectedness that's mm -hmm. the sort of deepest reality amidst voting for different presidential candidates or different interpretations of a conversation or different religious views, whatever the case might be. That's a really, I think that's a huge clarifier. Well, this, this uh, time has just flown by. I'm so grateful for each of you. I, what a good conversation. I feel so enriched by this conversation. And I would imagine uh, other people feel the same way that that there's somebody who's driving along listening to this conversation in a car or washing the dishes. And sort of my recommendation is sometime soon, pull, pull off the road in a parking lot or once the dishes are done, take a walk and just let this settle and see what comes back. And uh, because there has been so much precious love and wisdom and insight, and I am grateful for each of you. And I think the four of us are so grateful for the questions that came in. What amazing humans and, and what a beautiful community and glad to be part of it with each of you. Thanks to the Center for Action and Contemplation for all of your support for this podcast. Thanks especially to our wonderful producer, Corey Wayne, and uh, all of his artistry and support. And a special thanks to each of you for listening, for your attention, for your care, for your interest in learning how to see. And if you found this uh, series helpful, I hope you'll share it with someone you know and love. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.